Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. And we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Okay, so on today's show, we'll, we'll give an update on what's going on in Ukraine. This is day eight of the uh, Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine. And uh, as we see coming on the air here, we see there's a nuclear plant uh, that's on fire. I'm looking at the uh, updates from uh, Washington Post. Uh, we see um, this nuclear, uh, the Russians are uh, shooting at this nuclear plant. The nuclear plant is on fire right now. Uh, there's been a limited ceasefire reach for civilian evacuations as Russian forces cut off key cities. Uh, so we'll give you an update uh, on that. And I will also talk about uh, Africans in uh, Ukraine who are still trying to get out and talk about their plight. There's more information coming out about that. We see the uh, United Nation, United Nations uh, admits refugees have faced racism at Ukraine borders. There's an article from the Independent uh, dealing with that. So there, there was a story that I saw um, from Yahoo News, and this is dealing with uh, Tucker Carlson, white supremacist Tucker Carlson on uh, Fox News. Okay, just uh, you know, this um, Donald Trump supporter, uh, largely anti-democracy Tucker Carlson who attacks African-Americans pretty much nightly. And he uh, is continuing his, continuing his attack on Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. Um, so he's getting dragged on Twitter, and rightfully so, because on Fox News, um, he basically demanded to see Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's LSAT scores, which is the entrance exam you take to get into law school. Tucker Carlson gets hammered on Twitter for demanding to see Katanji Brown Jackson's LSAT score. Okay, now she's a Harvard graduate. She was the head of the Harvard Law Review. She's been a federal judge. All right, now I remember anybody asking to see any of these white male judges uh, LSAT scores. Not even Brett Kavanaugh, but this is what Tucker Carlson is is asking for, and he's getting lit up on Twitter, and rightfully so. So we're going to talk some about this uh, on today's show, and then uh, we'll deal with the uh, uh, Ukraine. And so, so there, was, there was another story that I saw dealing with Africans in Ukraine, and this deals with. Uh, why were so many African and Indian students in Ukraine in the first place? Why were so many African and Indian students in Ukraine in the first place? And it, it deals with the educational opportunities, okay? So we'll talk about this. This was a uh, article from the BBC. BBC had a good piece dealing with this. Um so we'll talk about that. And then 
NBC News has been doing more coverage on the uh, African immigrants in Ukraine and the mistreatment that they have been receiving, okay? So the first article NBC News had dealing with this was March 1st, first article that I saw and I read. I'm on NBC News' website all day. Um, the first article they had was from March 1st. And it dealt with um, the mistreatment that uh, African uh, immigrants were receiving. They have this one here from March 2nd, 2022. Black immigrants choose Ukraine for quality of life education. War leaves them fearful. Black immigrants choose Ukraine for quality of life education. War leaves them fearful. Thousands of African and black people have made Ukraine their home and report rarely dealing with racism and report rarely dealing with racism. The humanitarian crisis, however, has caused their lives, ha ha has caused their lives there into question. Okay, has called their lives there into question. So we'll, we'll talk about uh, this as well. Uh, the United Nations, is uh, admitting uh, refugees have faced racism at Ukraine uh, at Ukraine's borders. Now, this it appears the racism they're facing is largely um, at the Ukraine-Poland border. Okay, it appears that uh, the majority of the racism in Ukrainian first and things like this uh, that's largely appearing at the uh, Ukrainian. Poland border, border, and a lot less at the uh, Ukraine, Romania, Romania, or um, Hungary, uh, Hungarian border. Okay, because um, uh, Poland, I mean Romania and Hungary, are also nations that border Ukraine as well. So we'll discuss that also. Okay. And then there's um, then we'll give you a, a preview of uh, the online class that I teach on Saturdays, uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. And we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place, taking place. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the compass of his or her actions, because the mind can't do it, teach what it doesn't know. All right. Uh, we're coming up on a break here in just a minute. Uh, let's, let's go to this first uh, story here. So uh, Yahoo News has this piece dealing with Tucker Carlson from Fox News. Tucker Carlson gets hammered on Twitter for demanding to see Ketanji Brown Jackson's LSAT score. Okay, so uh, President Joe Biden's nomination for the U.S. Supreme Court first uh, African-American woman nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court. So following a segment on uh, the Wednesday edition of Tucker Carlson tonight on the Fox News channel. Okay, Trump TV, White Nationalist TV. Um, 
Fox News News most popular opinion host, Tucker Carlson, who Joanne Reed on the readout calls Tuckums. He came under fire for questioning the credentials of President Joe Biden's Supreme Court uh, nominee, Ketanji Brown Jackson, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. This came just days after he attacked her nomination, saying it would humiliate the Supreme Court and make the U.S. look like Rwanda. This would humiliate the Supreme Court and make the U.S. look like Rwanda. So did Judge uh, Brett Kavanaugh's nomination make the U.S. look like Cheers, okay? The, a, a, a bar where people go to drink. Um, we'll deal with this on the other side of the break and deal with Brother Tucker. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre. I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Thursday, March 3rd, 2022, and we are live. All right, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the uh, 10-week online class that I teach on uh, Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach them in school. Uh, Kemet being one of the original names for Egypt. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach them in school. Uh, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it any time. The class is on sale $60, regularly $130, so the price just dropped on it. Um, and even a year from now, you can go back and watch the entire course, okay? So, so as soon as you register for it, you'll have full access to it, and you'll have access even after the class ends. All right, uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to the clip from... Uh, Yahoo News in that article that I sent you from Yahoo News, uh, uh, Shakita. Uh, we'll go into that here in just a second. Okay, dealing with Tucker Carlson. All right, let, let's go back to. Um, I want to go back to this clip here. I want to go back to this article here from uh, Yahoo News. All right, so. Um, so Tucker Carlson, this came just days after uh, Tucker Carlson's uh, criticism of Kentucky Brown Jackson and demanding to see her LSAT scores. Uh, this came uh, just days after he attacked her nomination, saying it would humiliate the U.S. Supreme Court 
and make the U.S. look like Rwanda, taking a different approach than he did for for any of former Donald uh, former President Donald Trump's three nominees, all of whom were white. Now Tucker Carlson demanded to know uh, what Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson got on her law school admission admission test, otherwise known as the LSAT. And this is not you, when you've been a federal judge. I mean, nobody asked what you got on your LSAT score. We we can ask Tucker Carlson what he got on his SAT scores or ACT scores. Nobody asked you that. So he said, "Quote: So is Ketanji Brown Jackson." that even Joe Biden has uh, trouble pronouncing one of our top legal minds in the entire country. Certainly hope so. Biden's right. Uh, appointing her is one of his gravest constitutional duties, uh, Tucker Carlson said. So it might be time for Joe Biden to let us know what Katanji Brown Jackson's LSAT score was. Now, he didn't ask for the LSAT scores of any of Donald Trump's nominees. I don't think he's ever asked for any other judges, uh, Supreme Court nominees, uh, LSAT scores. Uh, but this is just, uh, this is more attacks coming from these white supremacists because they can't find anything wrong with her record. So these are just more, more attacks. Uh, let, let's go to this clip here. You, we had a clip queued up of uh, Shakita in the Yahoo News. Let's go to this clip here. So it might be time to let us know what Kentaji Brown Jackson's OCT score was. What else you do in the LSAT? Why wouldn't you tell us that? That would settle the question conclusively as to whether she's a once-in-a-generation legal talent the next one at hand. It would seem like Americans in a democracy have a right to know that and much more before giving her a lifetime appointment, but we didn't hear that. And that was just one of many things that Joe Biden So it might be time for Joe Biden to let us know what Kentaji Brown Jackson's LSAT score was. What else are you doing the LSAT? Why wouldn't he tell us that? That would settle the question conclusively as to whether she's a once-in-a-generation legal talent the next one at hand. It would seem like Americans in a democracy have a right to know that and much more before giving her a lifetime appointment, but we didn't hear that. And that was just one of many things that Joe Biden... So it might be time for Joe Biden... Pause it right there. Pause it right there. Pause it right there. Stop the clip. Stop the clip. Pause it right there. Shakita, stop the clip. Thank you. Okay, so you you heard talk Tucker Carlson more than once. Um, nobody asked for LSAT scores from white nominees, regardless of whether they're nominated by Republicans or Democrats. Now, uh, Tucker Carlson's demand was not well received on Twitter. Uh, veteran journalist Dan Rather said, number one, Jesus. Number two, we always hear about L- LSAT. He said, we always hear about LSAT scores for Republican judges, okay, which is not true. Number three, LSAT scores are about getting into law school, not the quality of a legal mind. Number four, Trump's grades and taxes, because Donald Trump has has not released his grades. For for he hasn't released his grades for college, he hasn't released his grades for high school, and then he even had his attorney to uh, 
work with the, uh, I think it was his high school, to protect his grades. He hasn't, Donald Trump hasn't released his grades for anything. And you have this mediocre uh, white talk show host, Tucker Carlson, demanding to see the uh, uh, LSAT scores of just Katanji Brown Jackson. And then um, Dan Rather rounded it out, number five, straight up racist. Uh, Lauren Wolf uh, tweeted, Tucker Carlson wants Katanji Brown Brown's LSAT scores. All I can say is there is no entrance exam into journalism, which makes Tucker Carlson very, very lucky. Uh, DNC chair, uh, Jamie Harrison, who's African-American, chair of the Democratic National Committee, uh, he, took, uh, he took it upon himself to put forth Judge Katanji Brown Jackson's academic accomplishments. Uh, Judge uh, Jackson graduated magna cum laude, laude from uh, Harvard University, cum laude from uh, Harvard Law School, and was the editor of the Harvard Law Review. She is the real deal. I've never heard uh, Ty Too Tight ask about... Um, <laughs> he's saying Tucker Carlson's ties too tight. <laughs> she said, I've never heard uh, Tucker ask about LSAT scores for other nominees, but typical of those who feel a bit inadequate, typical of those who feel a bit inadequate. So despite not knowing the meaningless answer, so the article goes on to say, despite not knowing the meaningless answer, to what Judge Katanji Brown Jackson got on the LSAT, Tucker Carlson's question about her academic prowess has been answered. Okay, but once again, this is the—I mean, you had um, uh, Senator uh, uh, John Kennedy from Louisiana, Republican, who said he wanted a uh, nominee uh, to know the difference between the J. Crew catalog and the Constitution. Or something like that. So you so you you see that there's a stark difference between the way these Republicans are treating this African American woman whose credentials far exceed most of theirs. There's a difference between the way they, they, they're treating her and the way they treat uh Brett Kavanaugh or Neil Gorsuch or Neil Gorsuch or um, Amy Coney Barrett. Okay, we see a huge difference uh, in, the, in the treatment. And if we go to, uh, let me see, let's pull this up here. So this is from uh, NBC News. And there's some other articles that we've, we've talked about here on the show as well dealing with Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, who has been confirmed by the U.S. Senate three times, if you include uh, her Senate confirmation to the U.S. Sentencing Commission. She's been confirmed by the U.S. Senate three times. Okay, she's a federal D.C. Circuit Court uh, of, she's a federal judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals since uh, she was confirmed in about, about June of 2021. 
three Republicans voted for her. Uh, it was Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Senator Susan Collins of Maine. She's a former judge, U.S. District Court for uh, the District of Columbia. She's a former vice chair of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. That was, she, she, that was Senate approved. She had to be approved by the U.S. Senate to be on the U.S. Uh, Sentencing Commission. She clerked for Judge Stephen Breyer, who is retiring from the U.S. Supreme Court. She was one of his clerks. She uh, graduated from Harvard Law School in 1996. She headed up the Harvard Law Review as well. So uh, her credentials, and she, and, she was a, she, and she was a public defender also. As a, she was also a public defender. Her credentials far exceed 99% of these white male Republicans who are attacking her. So we'll, we'll follow this uh, some more as well. But this is, these are, attacks that they level when they feel threatened these are attacks that they level when they feel threatened all right we're coming up on the break when we come back from the break now call in numbers 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment when we come back from the break we'll um talk about um, the, the United Nations uh, admits refugees have faced racism at Ukraine's border. We'll, we'll discuss that and we'll talk about uh, some of the, the, the plight of some of the African uh, migrants trying to get out of um, Ukraine as well. And th there was a good piece from the BBC that dealt with uh, why were so many African uh, students in Ukraine in the first place. Okay. And it talks about them going to college, going to get an education, going to medical school. Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Mental health and well being have long been a taboo subject in the so called African American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. The Business Scaling Challenge is a seven-day online event that is taking place the week of March 13th through March 19th, 2022. This challenge will guide a group of business owners through scaling their businesses. Business owner Ronnie Sumler is hosting the Business Scaling Challenge in remembrance and honor of her father, the late civil rights activist Rodney Sumler. He helped a lot of African-American-owned businesses and local community leaders participate in politics. However, when he passed away, all of his ventures died with him. This inspired his daughter, Ronnie Sumler, to help community business owners preserve their businesses. Her business, Digital Dandelions, offers business Bibles to record business processes and procedures. Their business Bibles are their branded run-of-show business manuals that have everything you need to run your business in one place. Their business scaling kit is the first step in creating a business Bible. 
It includes everything needed to grow your business in one place. Join the Business Scaling Challenge Facebook group for more information and good luck in scaling your business. iRedify is a black-owned digital platform that showcases black and brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read ebooks, listen to audiobooks, and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at iRedify.com. Sign up for your membership today. After History Network show, we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. <laughs> 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Thursday, March 3rd, 2022, and we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Okay. Um, I want to go to, we're going to clip, uh, this is clip number two, I think, Shakita from NBC News. Let me look at this here in a second. Uh, or, or actually clip number one uh, is, is labeled clip number one. As long as you are black, no one likes you. Students allege racism during escape from Ukraine. Um, so this is from uh, this is from Wednesday, March second, twenty twenty two, and they do. So NBC News has been late to the party uh, in covering this story here, dealing with the mistreatment of uh, African students in uh, Ukraine, but they've had starting their first story was March 1st dealing with this. Um, and you know, MSNBC, they've talked about it very little on MSNBC, but they do have some uh, articles at NBC News covering this. Okay, now we talked about this on our Sunday show before mainstream media started talking about this. We were dealing with this on the African History Network show on uh it was it was a show uh sunday february 27th okay we were dealing with this before mainstream media really picked up this story this is why it's important to support the african history network because this is the type of information that that we deal with here now there's a story here we're going to the clip just a second Shakita. um there's a, a good article that nbc finally uh started reporting on um, black immigrants choose Ukraine for quality of life, education, war leaves them fearful. Thousands of African and black people have made Ukraine their home and report rarely and report rarely dealing with racism. 
and report rarely dealing with racism. The humanitarian crisis, however, has called has called their lives into question. Now, is is little over a million people have fled Ukraine. This is day eight of this Russian invasion. A little over a million people have fled Ukraine. About fifty percent have gone into Poland. Okay. Now, after hearing after having studied in India, Heidi Guma, uh, Nuguma visited Ukraine. Uh, a few years ago with no plans to make it his home. But as an African from the country of Gabon in the central part of the continent of Africa, he said he fell in love with Ukraine and decided to stay. Now, part of the reason for his affection for the European country that neighbors Russia is that he never had problems with racism in Ukraine. He said, even if I know, so, he said, even if I know some who did, it can't compare with the U.S. for sure. He said, even if I know some who did, it can't compare with the U.S. for sure. Okay, I can't argue with him on that one. I've never been to Ukraine, but I, I can't argue with them on that. I've been to Nova Scotia, Canada, haven't been to Ukraine, but I can't argue with them on that one. He, now, he lives in Uman. Uh, a city in central Ukraine. So it jolted him when he heard from others that many black people of Ukraine, most of them African, had been prevented from entering Poland at the Poland-Ukraine border, Poland and other safe countries to elude the Russian attacks that started last week. Okay, it's a picture of Heidi. Um, now Africans in Ukraine are reporting discrimination and hostility in attempts to flee the country at some border crossings, especially the Poland border crossing. And Guma said, uh, he heard about the problem for many, including his brother who lives in Uman. Still, because he had not personally experienced racism in Ukraine, he has found the treatment of Africans trying to uh, cross the border to be surprising. He said Africans should be able to cross just like everyone else who wants to, he said. Uh, now, now here is, uh, this is in Kiev, um, and this is uh, students fleeing uh, Kiev, which is the capital, um, and many are from Nigeria, okay? So they're uh, loading their luggage onto a bus. Um, now, Africans in Ukraine mostly migrate there for a high quality education, what they call uh, at what they call affordable rates. OK, many like Dami uh, Raji are in medical school. She and others describe life in general as comfortable, despite not always feeling welcomed, as evidenced by the fact that it is difficult to find data that calculate how many blacks are in Ukraine. It's, it's difficult to find data to document how many blacks are in Ukraine. While a, while a large segment of the population has tried to flee, some are paralyzed in fear to make the trek to the surrounding borders. Okay, Raji, a Nigerian student at Kiev um, a Medical University, remembers the first night of bombing. She heard the frightening explosions in the distance. 
She said, I'm a, uh, I'm a bit scared, she said. Now, uh, Ron said many of her friends fled to the Polish border. She said she learned of people who were being turned away and not allowed to cross. Now, she and her family remain in Kiev for, uh, for now. Uh, she said she will run to safety if things get worse, but she has not tried to flee yet because she said, I feel safer inside than traveling around without knowing what I'll be met with when I go out. Okay. So there's a, I want to go to this clip here from, um, NBC news. This is from, uh, this is from March 2nd. I think this clip is from March 2nd. Uh, 2022, and this is um, as long as you are black, no one likes you. Let's go to this clip, Shakita. Mostly, they would they would consider white people first. White people first. Indian people, Arabic people, before black people. As long as you are black. No one likes him. I remember they punched a certain black guy, a policeman in Ukraine, punched a certain black guy for nothing. He was shot for nothing. Yes. So like I said earlier on, they consider white people before considering black people. Yes. And after that, we, we went to the, to the train station and they will, they will not let us in. And when, when they did let us in, they, they were like, you have to give us money because this is, this is not, this is not for free for you because you are foreign. This is not free for you. You have to pay for it. Maybe it's like a war. Many people start feeling stressed. They want their people to get first. Of course, everyone wants their, their people to be safe. So they had to express that in, in a way. So I understand that, but at the same time, you should at least say it in a nice way. In uh, Ukraine, there is some some kind of these bad things. There, there are uh, so many people there, and the police uh, don't let. Uh, they do like a kind of racism against foreigners. Uh, they let Ukrainian people cross first, and then they let us but uh, I don't uh, speak in general there is some few pieces that do that okay so that was from uh, NBC News I know we're coming up here on a break that was from NBC News from uh, March 2nd 2022 um, and in that clip you heard um, Ethel uh, Oto who is Ghanaian, um, Ethel Oto, who is Ghanaian, and you also heard uh, Zakaria uh, uh, Khaled from Morocco, okay? And Zakaria Khaled from Morocco, and let me increase the font size of this here, um, said they do like a kind of racism against foreigners. They do like a kind of racism against foreigners. Okay, we're going to continue this on the other side of the break. The United Nations um, has responded, and they admit uh, refugees have faced racism at uh, Ukraine's uh, borders. Uh, Independent.co.uk uh, has an article on this. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Then also, uh, I'll do a brief uh, preview 
of the 10-week online class that I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade with a didn't teach you in school. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotep. We'll be back in a few minutes. The Business Scaling Challenge is a seven-day online event that is taking place the week of March 13th through March 19th, 2022. This challenge will guide a group of business owners through scaling their businesses. Business owner Ronnie Sumler is hosting the Business Scaling Challenge in remembrance and honor of her father, the late civil rights activist Rodney Sumler. He helped a lot of African-American-owned businesses and local community leaders participate in politics. However, when he passed away, all of his ventures died with him. This inspired his daughter, Ronnie Sumler, to help community business owners preserve their businesses. Her business, Digital Dandelions, offers business Bibles to record business processes and procedures. Their business Bibles are their branded run of show business manuals that have everything you need to run your business in one place. Their business scaling kit is the first step in creating a business Bible. It includes everything needed to grow your business in one place. Join the Business Scaling Challenge Facebook group for more information and good luck in scaling your business. Jeanette Davis is a well-established author with six published books. Black Survival in White America from Past History to the Next Century was published in 1995 and it delves into the history of African Americans before slavery up to contemporary times. The Great Divide Between Blacks and Whites was released in 2008 and her autobiography, Black Just Like My Mama, was published in 2010. Soulful Journey, The Business of Beings, was released in December 2021 and her two latest books, Echoes from the Heart, Love Throws Poetry, and Master Being Human, were both published in January of 2022. Jeanette Davis' writings delve deeply into the psyche of black people from ancient to contemporary times. She cuts no corners and leaves no stones unturned in relating truth, letting the chips fall where they may on both African and European doorsteps. Order Jeanette Davis's books today at Amazon.com. Search for Jeanette Davis and get to know her work today. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. All right. Um, I want to go to uh, this story here from, uh, there was, was a story I saw from uh, The Independent dealing with the UN admits uh, refugees have faced uh, racism at the border. Okay, UN admits refugees have faced racism at the border. And let's go, hold on, let's pull this up here. Just a second here. All right. So this um, is in response to uh, numerous news accounts and interviews dealing with um, African students, especially being uh, discriminated against, mistreated, pulled off buses, things like this um, at the Ukrainian borders. 
If we look quick here at this story, this is from um, this is from March first, twenty twenty two. The United Nations has admitted that some non-European uh, refugees have faced discrimination while trying to flee to safety at Ukraine borders after their experiences were dismissed as lies and Russian disinformation after their experiences were dismissed as lies and Russian disinformation by online commentators. Filippo Grandi, the organization's high commissioner for refugees, acknowledged their plight during a press conference on Tuesday afternoon, okay, Tuesday, March 1st, on Tuesday afternoon. Um, Okay, now, now he said, you have seen reports in the media that there are different treatments with Ukrainians and non-Ukrainians. Now our observation, now our observations, and we possibly cannot observe every single post yet, but our observations is that these are not state policies but there are instances which it has happened. Our observations is that these are not state policies, but there are instances which it has happened, end quote, he said. Now there is, um, there has been a treatment. There should be absolutely no discrimination between Ukrainians and non-Ukrainians, Europeans and non-Europeans, everyone is fleeing from the same risks. Everyone is fleeing from the same risks. Now the UN plans to intervene to try to ensure that everybody receives equal treatment, Filippo Grandi said. Prior to, prior to this, Christine uh, Pirovalakis, senior external relations officer at the UK branch of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees told the Independent, quote, UNHCR is aware of reports of individuals facing challenges entering Poland from Ukraine and is following up on them. Because most of what I'm hearing is at the Ukraine-Poland border, not so much at the Romania, Romanian or Hungarian border. Quote, we advocate for access to safety regardless their legal status, nationality, and race, as well as access to asylum for those who want to seek asylum, as well as access to asylum for those who want to seek asylum. Now, this comes after a number of Black, South Asian, and Mediterranean refugees have charged, have shared accounts of being blocked at borders while trying to make crossings, uh, while, while trying to make crossings while white Ukrainians have been prioritized. Okay, this uh, ostensible Ukrainian first policy. Black people living in the region told the Independent that they have been denied assistance during the worsening crisis with some taking to social media in recent days to share their experiences. Okay, so read the rest of this uh, article here from the independent.co.uk. UN admits refugees 
have faced racism at uh, Crane borders. Okay, so so we have that piece, and then there's um, there's also a, a good article from. Well, now we'll talk about this some more on our Sunday show because I have two hours. We actually have two hours. We actually scheduled for two hours on our Sunday show, and we're on uh, we're on nine p.m. to eleven p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. So uh, I'll have more time to do with this on a Sunday show, but also read this piece from um, the BBC. Uh, this is from uh, March 3rd. Okay. And if we can reduce the size of this here, uh, why so many African and Indian students were in the country? Why so many African and Indian students were in the country? The, the other article, uh, from a few minutes ago from, uh, NBC News talked about this summit. This goes more in depth into it by Soraya Ali for uh, BBC News, BBC.com. Why so many African and Indian students were in the country? Because this is something that some people have asked, and uh, a lot of people don't know the educational opportunities at a lower cost that are available in Ukraine. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has caused a mass exodus of civilians, including thousands of international students from Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. Ukraine was home to over 76,000 foreign students, according to government data from 2020. Nearly a quarter of the students were from Africa, with the largest numbers from Nigeria, Morocco, and Egypt. Nearly a quarter of the 76,000 students are from Africa, with the largest numbers from Nigeria, Morocco, and Egypt. And they're studying medicine, they're studying engineering, different things like this. India easily accounts for the highest portion with 20,000 students. Okay, so uh, read this from uh, uh, from the BBC. Okay, now, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. We're on the air six days a week. Um, this helps us keep doing the research, pay the bills, etc. This is our official cash app account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. Also, we have the link uh, for cash app right on our homepage of uh, our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. And we also have the donate button here for PayPal. Uh, these other ones here are fake African History Network cash app accounts. I did not set up. Those are not, that's not us. Uh, and then you can register for the online classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays from the civil, uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay. And I'm going to do a quick uh, a preview of the content that we deal with in the class here in just a minute. And then uh, on Sundays, I teach ancient uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. So uh, both of these classes are regularly $130. Uh, they're on sale $60. The price just dropped. They're on sale $60 uh, each. We have a bundle pack, and the price of the bundle pack just uh, dropped as well. Uh, you can register for both classes for only $100. That's a $260 value. Even after the 10-week online course is over with, you still have access to the full class. You can watch everything. If you've taken any of my online classes in the past, um, and I've been teaching these since uh, 2017, if you've taken any of my online classes in the past, email me at ahnshow 
at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, you'll get a 50% discount. All right. And you can join us in class uh, this weekend. Okay. Those watching on Facebook and YouTube, uh, keep watching. We're going to keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. I'm going to do a, a preview of um, the uh, online class. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Peace. I'll be on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. So download the Black Star Media app. Check me out. Roland Martin Unfiltered. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. All right. Stand by. Okay. Uh, I'm going to post the link here also for the, uh, you can register for the online class I teach on Saturdays. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. And that class is on sale, uh, $60, regularly $130. You can also use this information with your children. I would say the information is PG-13. And uh, we have the uh, information for the bundle pack also. So we deal with thousands of years of history and, and uh, what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, all of that. All right, let me uh, pull this up. There's a, a quick um, update to the story. I want to get to dealing with uh, dealing with Ukraine and the uh, nuclear plant. Oh, I saw a story from Reuters. Uh, we also have one here from. We have the live updates from. Um, Washington Post. Okay, so. Uh, Ukraine nuclear reactors are being safely shut down. Uh, U.S. energy officials said that's uh, Jennifer Granholm, uh, uh, Energy Secretary uh, Jennifer Granholm, who's the former governor of here in Michigan, Governor Granholm. Let me go to this quickly from Reuters. Okay, Ukraine nuclear reactors being safely shut down, U.S. energy official says. This is uh, Energy Secretary uh, Jennifer Granholm, former governor of Michigan. U.S. Energy Secretary uh, Jennifer Granholm said on Thursday, March 3rd, that reactors at Ukraine's I don't I don't even know how to pronounce that a nuclear power station are protected by robust containment structures and reactors are being safely shut down. OK, the reactors at the nuclear power station are protected by robust containment structures and reactors are being safely shut down. Energy Secretary Granholm said on Twitter she had just spoken with Ukraine's energy minister about the situation at the plant while fire broke out during fighting between Russian and Ukrainian forces because the Russians are shooting into this nuclear plant, okay, which provides about 25% of the energy for Ukraine. Quote, we have seen no elevated radiation readings near the facility, uh, Energy Secretary Granholm said. 
Uh, okay, so that's just a, a, a brief update. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this on our Sunday show, and then also check out the uh, updates from NBC News, as well as from um, Washington Post also. And as I said at the beginning of the show, there's a limited ceasefire. Um, there's a limited ceasefire that is, uh, has been negotiated for civilian evacuations as Russian forces cut off key cities. So this, this war is intensifying, this battle is intensifying. Uh, Ukraine and, and Russia say they have agreed to uh, temporary local ceasefires to create humanitarian quarter corridors for the evacuation of civilians and delivery of vital supplies as Russian forces encircled major port cities and advanced toward other population centers and advanced toward other population centers. The details of the limited ceasefires, which followed followed a second round of talks on Thursday, March 3rd, are still being worked out, officials said. Ukrainian leaders are warning that food, medicine, and other essentials are running low in southern cities under siege. In Kherson, or Kherson, uh, by the Black Sea, one official warned of disaster within days unless a corridor opened. In coastal uh, uh, Maripol, near the Russian border, the mayor uh, said residents have no light, water, and heat. No light, water, and heat. Russian President Vladimir Putin has now sent 90% of the Russian forces readied around Ukraine into the country. He sent, now he had close to, close to 200,000 troops around Ukraine, he sent 90% of those forces into Ukraine, according to a senior U.S. defense official. Russian troops are moving toward the capital of Kiev. Some pronounce it Kiev or Kiev. And the defense official said the invaders show a, quote, clear willingness to hit civilian targets, a clear willingness to hit civilian targets. Now, more than a million people have fled Ukraine, according to the United Nations, and an exodus that is expected to become Europe's worst humanitarian crisis this century. This is expected to become Europe's worst humanitarian crisis this century. U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas cited those harrowing conditions on Thursday as he said, tens of thousands of Ukrainian nationals already living in America would get temporary protection from deportation. Tens of thousands of Ukrainian nationals already living in America would get temporary protection deporta uh, from deportation. All right. So um, you have Kharkiv, the second largest city in Ukraine. Kiev uh, is the capital. Uh, we see uh, Russian-held areas and troop movement. Uh, so this is intensify. This is intensifying. Okay, we'll talk more about this on uh, Sunday show.
All right, so check out the live updates from Washington Post, New York Times, uh, uh, NBC News as well. All right, now, um, so very quickly here, a lot of you have um, asked questions about the uh, online class that I teach on uh, Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach them in school. So we deal with thousands of years of history and we deal with what leads up to uh, the transatlantic slave trade taking place. When we study our history, we can't start our history in slavery. And this is uh, one of the things that really has to be impressed during Black History Month, African-American History Month. We can't start our history in slavery. We have to deal with thousands of years of history that leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We have to deal with ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, uh, Nubia, Ta-Nehisi, deal with these uh, African civilizations, deal with Carthage and um, uh, deal with uh, Zimbabwe and different things like this, okay? And what, what we do in, in this class, and there's over 200 slides in the class, um, uh, we go through and look at this history chronologically. There's a timeline of history that we use, and then we go through and look at different periods of history to to see cause and effect. And we we look at um, how really Africans lose control. We look at invasions that take place. Um, one of those one of those things we look at are, are the Punic Wars, and uh, we look at Hannibal Barca and the Battle of Cana in 216 BC, but we um, have to understand that uh, even when we look here at the, at the U.S., we have to understand that uh, African people have been in the land we call the United States of America, the, this landmass. We've been here at least 51,700 years. And if we look at Dr. David M. Hotel's book, The First Americans Where Africans Documented Evidence, on page 14 of his book, he deals with a discovery made by Dr. Albert Goodyear in uh, Allendale County, South Carolina in 2004, where they found 13 different types of evidence that to uh, thoroughly document an African presence in the land we call the United States of America dating back at least 51,700 years ago. Now this is, uh, and in South America dating back at least 56,000 years ago. And they found artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, Egyptian writings, footprints, and lava, genetic M174, dehaploid groups, dehaploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics, linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeleton structures, and tools. Now, these were the Khoisan. The Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet. This is uh, Dr. Albert Goodyear, uh, who's an archaeologist at the University of South Carolina. This is an article from 2004. Uh, from ScienceDaily.com that talks about his discovery. This article is almost 20 years old. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. Because one of the things we do in the class is we look at archaeological discoveries. And these archaeological discoveries that have come out in the past, uh, within the past 10 years, that are causing the archaeologists and scientists to totally rethink everything and push the timelines back. Okay, so this is this is why we we can't start our history in this country uh, with us conquered and shackled and changed and conquered by Europeans. All right, but even when, when even when we deal with our history before 
the United States. We can't start our history in 1441 with the Portuguese going into Mauritania. We can't start our history in slavery. We have to deal with when African people ruled the world. So the, the Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet. An October 2012 genetic study published in Science Magazine found that the Khoisan in Southern Africa are the oldest ethnic group of modern humans with their ancestral line originating about 100,000 years ago. The Khoisan, formerly called by the derogatory term Bushmen, are genetically unique and no other currently known population had separated so early from our common modern human ancestor, according to the report. The Khoisan live mainly in Southern Africa in territory spanning Botswana, Namibia, Angola, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and South Africa. They are largely divided into two groups, hunters and gatherers, the Sans, the Sans people, S-A-N, that's the Sans people, and keepers of livestock, the Khoikhoi people, the Khoikhoi people. The Khoisan languages include the distinctive click sounds that aren't found in the languages of their neighbors. Now, AtlantaBlackStar.com has a good article called uh, Five Ethnic Groups That Prove the First Humans Were Black. Okay. And then we have the people of the uh, Adaman Islands as well. Um, there's a, um, so there's a number of different archaeological discoveries that we look at that will totally blow your mind. And they're causing the archaeologists and paleontologists and scientists to understand that all of this is much older than we thought. And they have to keep pushing the timelines back. I mean, there was an ancient beer factory discovered. Uh, it was discovered last year. It was discovered in 2021 in Egypt that dates back 5,000 years. But this discovery right here, um, New York Times is an article from February 2010. On Crete, new evidence of very ancient mariners. On Crete, new evidence of very ancient mariners. And, and this discovery deals with on the Greek island of Crete, which has been an island for more than 5 million years. They found stone tools that date back at least 130,000 years ago. They found stone tools that date back at least 100 and 30,000 years ago. And they said this is looked at as um, evidence because um, it's considered strong, strong evidence for the earliest known seafaring in the Mediterranean. Now, Crete has been an island for more than 5 million years, meaning that the tool makers must have arrived by boat. You're talking about 130,000 years ago, okay? And one of the things Dr. David Imhotep deals with is how we were sailing 130,000 years ago. So this seems to push the history of Mediterranean voyaging back more than 100,000 years, specialists in Stone Age archaeology say. Previous artifact discoveries had shown people reaching Cyprus a few other Greek islands and possibly Sardinia 
no earlier than 10 to 12,000 years ago. So this is causing them to have to rethink everything. Okay, you have the lost city of Egypt, Tanis Heraklion, which uh, what they found was revealed in 2013. This was a, uh, a city in Egypt built about 8th century BC or BCE before the common era. And it was swallowed into the sea. It, it was it, it was swallowed into the sea about 1,200 years ago. Okay, Tanis Heraklion. And they found 16-foot-tall um, statues. They found 64 ships, okay, uh, at the bottom of the sea. This is, what the, this is what they found, but they found all this evidence of this lost city of Egypt, Tanis Heraklion. They found 700 anchors, countless gold coins. This discovery was revealed in 2013. So I remember when it was revealed, I talked about it uh, when it came out, okay? All right, now, when we look at the the Washington Monument, that is a ancient African symbol called a Tekken, which comes from the mythology of Asar Aset and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis, and Horus. And there were about 1,200 Tekkenu all throughout ancient Kemet. We know that the uh, foundation of Freemasonry comes out of ancient Kemet as well, comes out of the teaching from the lodges, the mystery systems, out of ancient Kemet. And 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. Uh, Egypt. So there's some books that we reference in the class. You don't have to buy any of the, any of the books to follow, follow along. But one of them is Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. And I've interviewed, Browder's a friend of mine. I've interviewed him a number of times. Brilliant historian and archaeologist. There were approximately 1,200 Tekkenu built in ancient times, but only about a dozen are found in Egypt. Only about a dozen are found in Egypt today. Many of the Tekkenu removed from Egypt are now in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, London, uh, England, Paris, France, Berlin, Germany, Vatican City in Italy, uh, Rome, Italy, Vatican City, and elsewhere throughout the world. The Tekkenu, Tekkenu for plural, are now called obelisks by their new owners and few know their origin or that they symbolize the resurrection of the African king Asar or the, the African king Asar from the mythology of Asar set Heru. Now, the word Mason is derived from the Latin words mass and sun Mason means child of light and expresses the desire to pursue light, which is a metaphor for the sun, which symbolizes knowledge. So for, you know, for eons, light has been associated with knowledge. And even when you watch, say, cartoons and a cartoon character has an idea, you may see a light bulb go off over the cartoon character's head, associating light with knowledge. And darkness has been associated with ignorance or lack of knowledge. So when Europe 
is cast into the dark ages after the Vandals and the Visigoths crushed the western portion of the Roman Empire in 476 AD. This is a period of ignorance and is going to be the teachings that the Moors take into Europe coming from the Nile Valley region of Africa, the, 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 the knowledge coming from the Nile Valley region of Africa, the, the African Moors are taking the light from Africa into the dark continent, Europe. And this knowledge brings Europe out of the dark ages. Okay, it brings them out of the dark ages, late 1400s. And then they go into the next age, like early 1500s, they go into the next age, which is the Renaissance age, which is a period of enlightenment, light in reference to knowledge. The Renaissance age, a period of enlightenment. The term child of light or sons and daughters of light was first used to identify um, students who had completed 42 years of study in the temples of ancient Kemet. Many Masonic temples were modeled after the temples of Kemet, places where light or knowledge was imparted in a series of steps or degrees. So George G.M. James talks about this in, in Stolen Legacy. The concept of uh, liberal arts colleges comes out of ancient Kemet, comes out of ancient Africa. And uh, he taught in Stolen Legacy, he talks about the seven liberal arts, the arithmetic and the rhetoric and the logic, logic, different, different things like this. And the concept of going to an institution of higher learning and getting your credentials in a series of steps or degrees comes out of ancient Africa. So associate's degree, bachelor's degree, master's degree, philosophy degree, PhD, etc. These are these these are ancient concepts. Okay, um, so Masonic temples are considered houses of light or temples of learning. The term Mason, child of light, is, is a direct reference to the highest degree of the comedic education system. Okay, the 33 degrees of instruction within Freemasonry represent a fraction of the 360 degrees of instruction that comprise the comedic system of education. Yet with less than 10% of the wisdom of ancient Kemet, of ancient Africa, Freemasons have held positions of influence and power throughout the world for over 200 years. Read page 33 of uh, Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. Okay, so there's a ton of information that we deal with. We deal with things like who was St. Nicholas, because we go through and look at thousands of years of history. And we go through this history chronologically. We deal with some of the history of the Moors and going into the Iberian Peninsula, which is today known as Spain and Portugal, 711 AD. We look at some different African, civiliz Af African civilizations, Ghana, Songhai, and Mali, and Zimbabwe, and Carthage, and uh, uh, Nubia, and, and Abyssinia, Ethiopia. But when we look at St. Nicholas, first of all, a lot of the early Christian saints were African saints. A lot, of, a lot of early Christian saints were Africans. 
and early Christianity looks a lot like traditional African spiritual systems. A lot of early Christians believed in some sort of reincarnation. Uh, so if you read uh, uh, Christianity Before Christ by Dr. John G. Jackson, he breaks down a lot of this in the book. Okay, now how's everybody doing? Okay, you're still there, you're still awake. Okay, give me a thumbs up, give me a heart, give me a like. How do you like this type of information? These are some of the slides from the class. We have over 200 slides in the class. All these slides I put together myself. I've been teaching this class since 2017, but it has grown immensely since I first taught it in 2017. Uh, and if you've taken any of my online classes in the past, be sure to email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com because you'll get 50% off uh, these classes. So this um, class here, this one meets on Saturdays uh 2 p.m to 4 p.m eastern standard time so we do the sessions live all the sessions are archived and recorded you can go back and watch it anytime in class you can see me i can't see you um you i don't take attendance anything like that all right uh this is ancient kemet the moors and the maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school uh the the term maafa is a Kiswahili term which refers to uh, the great disaster. It refers to our Holocaust, okay, which is totally different than anybody else's. This is not trying to um, take away from um, other disasters that have happened to other people, but ours is entirely different, all right? And uh, so this is a, a, you can use this information with your children also. I would say the information is PG-13. The, uh, the other class that I teach is, so this class is on sale $60, regularly $130. And after you, there's also a bonus content that you get as well. So there's 15 bonus lectures that you'll get from me that make up the uh, Michael M. Hotel 15 uh, lecture bundle pack. We have it in DVD format, the uh, 15 DVD bundle pack but you're gonna get it in digital format when you register for this class, okay? You get 15 of my lectures that are included in this bundle pack also. In the second class I teach on Sunday is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968. That's on sale $60 also, regularly $130. And that's 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., same format. Um, and we have them, both classes in the bundle pack, for only $100, regularly $260, okay? All right, so uh, we posted the link here and that's at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. If you have any questions, be sure to email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. If you want me to do a, a, a modified class for your church, for your study group, your organization, your fraternity, sorority, et cetera, email me as well, we can set that up. So when we deal with St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas, um, you know, this this intersects with center class, um, that which is Dutch for uh, St. Nicholas and the uh, religious figure center class that we see um, that we see uh, worshipped in um, uh, the Netherlands and Holland, things like this. And then this also gets into Black Pete, Joie de Piet, who um is a Moor, Black Pete the Moor. Um 
And you have these Europeans who have a parade and celebrate Joie de Piet and Black Pete. And they put on uh, blackface and Afro wigs, okay? And they, um, this right here, they put on blackface and Afro wigs, all right? And they celebrate the coming of center class and Black Pete. Now, from center class, from this religious figure of center class, you get the secular figure, the mythological figure of Santa Claus. Okay, and center class is introduced into the U.S. in the early 1700s by the Dutch. And you're going to have the cartoonist Thomas Nast. The cartoonist Thomas Nast, N-A-S-T, is, is largely credited with creating the uh, secular figure of Santa Claus, the jolly fellow, fat, red and white suit, things like this. But that comes from center class, which comes from uh, the Netherlands. Well, if we look at uh, Bishop Nicholas of uh, Myra, which is modern day Turkey, he was a Greek Orthodox bishop born in uh, 280 AD. He was African, by the way, as well, as many of your early saints were. He was born to wealthy parents and gave away his inheritance to the poor. He's a patron saint to children, seamen, prostitutes, palm brokers. Um, and patron saints are saints who are said to watch over group, different groups of people. These are patron saints. And the concept of the patron saints is going to come from the Netaru, because when you study when you study the Netaru um, coming uh, out of ancient Kemet, and you have like Maat and Osset, Osset is associated with uh, love and fertility. Uh, Osset, the mother of Heru, and we know that um, this is where you get the uh, the first Holy Trinity of Osar, Osset, and Heru. Heru, born of a virgin birth, December twenty fifth which ties into astronomy, all right? And you deal with, I've done a whole presentation dealing with the winter solstice and uh, why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th. We deal with that in the class as well. There's a whole separate lecture I've done dealing with that in uh, ancient Kemet, the winter solstice and the history of Christmas. But uh, Christ is not a name, it's a title. Dealing with anointed or the anointed one, uh, Christ coming from the Greek Christos, coming from the Kemetic Ka-Rest, Ka-Rest, Ka meaning spirit, rest meaning to rise. When you study all this, it takes you right back to ancient Africa or Sumer or Mesopotamia, and we're dealing with a retelling of ancient stories. We're dealing with a retelling of ancient stories told over and over again, adapted to various people's cultures, cultures throughout thousands of years. OK, and their ethnicity is put on and their names are put on it and their, uh, their, their, their ideology that coming from their culture, their, their mores, their cultures, things like this are infused into these stories. When you look at. In Europe, they were worshiping the black Madonna and child even before the Moors go into Europe, which comes from Osar, Osset and Heru. But you still have statues of the black Madonna and child in Europe right now, in 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 uh, France, in Spain, in Portugal, Germany, 
Czechoslovakia, Russia, and from the Black Madonna and Child, you get the decolorized version of the white Mary and Jesus. And as Europeans are coming out of the dark ages and they start conquering other people's lands and extracting the wealth out of people's lands, extracting the minimal wealth and building up Europe because Europe had been devastated by the uh, black death, the bubonic plague and from 1347 to 1400, Europe loses between a quarter to a third of their population. But as you see a rise in European powers, you're going to see a rise in the Europe in the dominance of the European phenotype. And the European phenotype gets elevated. And a lot of these different figures that were traditionally African figures, mythological, etc., get reinterpreted as European. When you study Zeus amongst the Greeks in Greek mythology, Zeus, in, in Greek mythology, they tell you Zeus comes from Ethiopia. We know the word Ethiopia and Ethiops is Greek, which means sunburnt, but they tell you uh, Zeus comes from Ethiopia. Originally, Hercules was black. When you, when you, uh, then you're going to see um, Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel. And he uses his aunt and uncle as the models for Adam and Eve. You're going to, you're going to see this reinterpretation of these traditional figures that were traditionally African you're going to see them reinterpreted as European. And then they're going to be projected around the world. If you look at this book here, this is one, this is one of the books I use in the class from uh, Renoko Rashidi, who's a friend of mine. We know Renoko passed away August 2nd, 2021. He was in Egypt. Black Star, the African Presence in Early Europe. Black Star, the African Presence in Early Europe. So on page 90, and you know, Renoka had a library, probably about 40,000 photographs he took. He visited uh, something like 125 islands and countries all around the world. And he would document the African presence all around the world. So these are statues of the Black Madonna and Child in Switzerland, uh, Poland, Madrid, Spain, Luxembourg, city Luxembourg. They were basically worshiping African people. This is coat of arms of Pope Benedict XVI with the head of a Moorish king. Because when you when you study a lot of these Europeans' bloodlines, they have African Moors in their bloodlines because the Moors intermix into European populations. Okay, so on a lot of uh, a lot of the the uh, royalty in these different European nations. On their coat of arms, they have an African Moorish head because they had some Moorish ancestry in their bloodline. This right here is the uh, the flag of Sardinia, the national flag of Sardinia that has four Moors heads on it. That's the national flag right now. Originally, the originally the bandana was a blindfold because the Moors were in those areas, but they were conquered. And we're going to see in different areas like the Moors conquered and enslaved, and we see this especially amongst the Spanish, okay? And they're going to be taken into different uh, like Spanish colonies. 
but this is a deep history. Um, we look here, you see uh, the Black Madonna Child here in France. You see it, uh, another Black Virgin of Paris. We see one here in uh, Spain. Another one in uh, Kremlin in Moscow, this painting. That's in Moscow. This is page 89. Okay, so this all ties into our history. This is a deep book right here. I interviewed Renoko about this book in 2014. This is another book we use in the class, Golden Age of the Moor, edited by Dr. Ivy Van Sertema. Because this, we, we go through and deal with this history chronologically. Okay, so Golden Age of the Moor is another book we, deal, we use uh, before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett Jr. is one that we use. Okay, this is the sixth edition. It's beat up. I need another one. Now that the contributions of civilization by Tony Browder is one. How white folks got so rich, the untold story of American white supremacy. This is the third edition from the Nation of Islam Research Group. The Egyptian philosophers, ancient African voices from Imhotep to Akhenaten by Dr. Malefe Keti Asante. Now you don't have to buy any of these books to follow along in class. I use these for reference. We cite different parts of the book. This right here, the Declaration of Independence and other great documents of American history. I use more so in the uh, second class I teach uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. This one right here, this is probably about $2 uh, from Dover Books. This is a really good one. It has Declaration of Independence, U.S. Constitution, all that stuff in there. But you can read the U.S. Constitution at um, LOC.gov, Library of Congress website. Okay. You can read it for free there. Because when we understood the Constitution, we'd be much better off. We understood history and law. This one right here, Collective Courage, a history of African-American cooperative economic uh, thought and practice by that Dr. Jessica Gordon Emhart, which deals with our deep, rich histories uh, a deep rich history of cooperative economics in the co-ops. This is another book that, that we reference in the class. Okay. Now Valley Contributions to Civilization by Tony Browder. Egypt on the Potomac by Browder as well. This book right here, Egypt on the Potomac. Christmas Miscellany, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Christmas. By Jonathan Green. This is one of the books I, I, I read when I was really studying the history and origins of Christmas. Because I've been uh, doing presentations dealing with the history of Christmas going back to 2012. So those are just a few of the books that we do within the class. So you don't have to, some of these books you may have on your library. If you don't, it's fine. You, you'll still be able to follow along in the class because I have a lot of slides for you. The, all these slides I put together myself. How's everybody doing? Okay, how you all like this type of information? Who still needs to register for this uh, 10-week online class? As soon as you register, you can watch the class we did last week. I'll post the link here again. And we also have a bundle pack when you register for both classes for only $100. Classes are regularly $130 each. You have a, a special discount right now. And if you have any questions, if you have to make any other arrangements, if you want to pay through PayPal, or anything like that. I mean, or pay through Cash App. Email me ahn show at africanhistorynetwork.com. ahn show at africanhistorynetwork.com. All right, let's continue here. 
we'll be here for a few more minutes. So um, it's important to understand this history chronologically. Historical events don't happen in a vacuum. They are the culmination of a sequence of historical events that lead to other events taking place. Uh, some other things we deal with now, we deal with um, the film Black Panther. And the film Black Panther is deep on multiple levels, okay? Um, the word Wakanda is a real word. There were 11 different African cultures infused into the film Black Panther. Uh, Ruth Carter, who was the costume designer, she, did, she studied 11 different African cultures over the course of, um, studied 11 different African cultures over the course of uh, about six months. And you see this incorporated into the film. Now, Bast is short for Bastet, is a deity or netter from ancient Kemet. The, the panther deity, Bast, that watches over the people of Wakanda. And Wakanda is not one group of people. Wakanda is the nation. Wakanda is made up of 18 different tribes. Okay, because I had to do, I, I, I do lectures dealing with the film Black Panther. And I did about three months research on the film and the comic book to understand what the hell I was seeing in the movie before I went out here and started talking about it and doing lectures. Okay, other people didn't do that. I'm not going to call any names, but I can listen to them and tell they ain't do any research. And two of the books that I read, first of all, there's about a hundred articles that I read dealing with the movie and the comic book to do, because I'm a researcher, to really understand what I'm seeing on the screen. And the movie Black Panther was the 18th film in the Marvel comic universe. And all those films have an interconnected storyline. And then there were four other films in that sequence, in that interconnected storyline. So you have to understand the, the interconnection between the movies to understand what you're seeing in the movie. These are, these are two books that I read on the film Black Panther to understand what it is that I'm seeing in the movie before I go out here and start talking about it and doing presentations across the country. Um, the official movie special Black Panther. So this has interviews with the cast, the director, Ryan Coogler, background information on the movie, things like this, right? How many people have seen this book? How many people have seen this book? I read a hundred different, over a hundred articles on the, on the movie Black Panther. Okay, to understand what I'm seeing in the movie. And then I read this book here by Marvel, also by Marvel, Black Panther, The Ultimate Guide. This deals with the 52-year history of the Black Panther comic book because a lot of the a lot of the things from the comic book we see in the movie. And then we see changes in the storylines, things like this. So I had to I had to study the the Dora Malaji comes straight out the comic book. I had to study the history of the comic book to understand what I'm seeing in the movie before I go out here and start doing presentations on the movie. And understanding like the change in the storyline of Killmonger, things like this, because in the comic book, Killmonger is 100% Wakandan. He's not half Wakandan, half African-American. And look at the introduction of 
um, uh, Black Panther in um, uh, the Fantastic Four uh, comic book. All this stuff. Okay. So when we look at Wakanda, first of all, Wakanda is a real word. Wakanda means uh, possesses secret powers in the uh, Omaha Ponca Native American language and the Sioux Indian language. And then uh, Wakanda is also a Bantu word as well. Now, when we look at Bast or Bastet, Bastet is an ancient Egyptian goddess or netter worshipped in the form of a cat or a, in the form of a lioness and later a cat. She's a goddess of warfare and lower Kemet, worshipped as early as the second dynasty, about 2890 BCE, before the Common Era. When we look at the Black Panther comic book, Wakandan religion and its tribes. The religion of the Wakandan people first developed during the pilgrimage to the land in their conflict with the originators. The gods of Wakanda formed from the heroes of humans within the tribe. Ascending to the status of a god, these heroes became the Orisha. The Orisha are the names of the deities in the spiritual system of Ifa, which is practiced amongst the Yoruba of Nigeria. This is in the comic book, the Orisha. Some people say Orishas, but a brother from Nigeria told me, he said, he said it's Orishas. Ascending to the status of a god, these heroes became the Orisha, taking the names Koku, Thoth, T-H-O-T-H, Thoth is what the Greeks called Dehuti. Dehuti is the uh, deity, the Netter, that delivered the Annunciation to the virgin Aset that she's going to give birth to Heru. It's called the Annunciation. That's Dehuti. Bast comes from Bastet, Mujaji, Patah. Patah is one of the, uh, Patah is one of the original Netaru. Okay? Patah is one of the original Netaru. It was right behind me. Picture of Patah. This is in the Black Panther comic book. And Niami. The Orishas. The Orisha's origin, let me flip back over to this, hold on. The Orisha's origin Okay, I'm gonna go back to that slide. Hold on, why can't I see this here? All right, here we go. Should be able to see it now. The Orisha's origins date back to the ancient Egyptian beings known as the Ennead. So if you if you study ancient Kemet, you know the Ennead refers to the nine original Netaru. This is straight, this is out of the Black Panther comic book. What are the Ennead? Ennead 
means group of nine in Greek. In ancient Kemet, they were called Pesjet. The nine Neturu were Atom, which is the sun, Shu, which is air, Tefnut, moisture, Geb, earth, and Nut, sky, Asar, who the Greeks called Osiris, Aset, Isis, Seth, Set, who was the brother of Asar, and Nephetus. This, this is known as the Ennead, which comes straight out of ancient Kemet, but that's in the Black Panther comic book. Read pages 274 and 277 of Ancient Egypt by uh, Lorna Oaks and Lucia Galen. Also, now Valley Contributions to Civilization. And they, they break this down in the book because pages 274 to 277, they have a, um, they have a chart of the Netaru. This book right here. They have a chart of the Netaru. And so we show you this in the class. We go through and break all this stuff down and put it into, or, like organize all the information. They have a chart of the, of the deities of the Netaru and their attributes. And from the Netaru, this is where we get the concept of the saints. Because in Christianity, and contrary to popular belief, the Catholic Church wasn't founded until mid-11th century AD. It's going to be the Eastern Orthodox Church that we see early on. So when you had the Council of Nicaea in 325, it's not, that's not the Catholic Church. Catholic Church is not founded until centuries later. That's the Eastern Orthodox Church. That's the Eastern Orthodox Church that we see when in 431 uh, or 432 AD, Pope Celestine I sends a, a British slave named Patrick into Ireland to convert the Irish to uh, Christianity. C Catholicism doesn't exist. And he's fighting against the Druids and killing the Druids. This is how we get the myth of St. Patrick. And they say he drove the snakes out of Ireland. But the but the but the uh, the Druids are dealing with a watered down version of teachings coming out of ancient Kemet. And uh, they wore on their helmets, they wore a uh, cobra or they have a uraeus on their helmets and they were known as the snake people. We also deal with things like the because uh, we, we, we deal with the. Uh, Crusades, starting at about 1096 AD, 1095, 1096 AD, the Crusades. And um, we know during the Second Crusade, you have the uh, Knights Templar formed in 1118 AD. Knights Templar, the Knights Templar are dealing, they're learning from the Moors, and they become very powerful. And the Knights Templar in France, they're going to be uh, disbanded October 13, 1307. And we deal with this whole thing called Friga Trisca Decophobia, which is the fear of Friday the 13th, and Trisca Decophobia, which is the fear of the number 13. And there's history behind it, and part of that deals with the the uh, the, the Knights Templar, Friday the 13th, uh, 1307, uh, losing power. But the, but the teachings of the Knights Templar go underground and they resurface 
as the uh, uh, Freemasons and Rosicrucian, Rosicrucians and these different other secret societies or societies with secrets. But these are watered down versions of the teachings that the Moors taken to Europe that come from ancient Africa. Uh, so this is just a, just a, a sample of the type of information that we deal with. Um, in Wisconsin, there's a there's a water park called Wakanda. Because Wakanda is an ancient term. You have a school, you have a school in Nebraska named Wakanda. You have a water park in Wisconsin named Wakanda. Because I did I did a lot of research on this, right? So um, you'll see some different spellings of the name Wakanda. But Wakanda is the great creator power of the Osage, Omaha, and Ponca Native American tribes. But we know the first Americans were Africans when we actually study this history. In this chronology of this history, this takes us back, takes us back to Dr. David M. Hotep's book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Wakanda is an abstract, omnipresent, creative force who is never personified in traditional Suan legends and in fact did not even have a gender before the introduction of English with this gender specific nouns. You can check out native-language.org for more information, but there's other information out there on Wakanda, which is an ancient term. Located in Wakanda Park in Mimini, Wisconsin on the shore of Lake Miminin, Mimin, Minomin, this group is what's left of once large cluster of mounds that were submerged when Lake Minoman was created by damming Red Cedar River. Out of 17 submerged mounds, 14 were excavated by archeologists. Some of the mounds contained burials including an individual wearing clay mask, the feature found in only two other mound sites in Wisconsin. By different accounts, either three or four mounds are still extant in the park, all supposed to be ovals. I found two definite mounds in decent condition, unmowed, and away from pedestrian traffic at the dead end of the ridge overlooking the lake. Nearby, there was a raise in the ground that might have been a third mound, but is pretty low and mowed with the rest of the disc golf course on which it's located. Okay, you check out wisconsinmounds.wakandaparkmounds.htm HTML or memony hyphen WI for Wisconsin.gov. Now, in doing this research, so I was I was looking and they, they have this um historical marker, this uh, whatever this is, this sign, this like historical marker here at um the Wakanda Park in Wisconsin. And it, it it talks about a group of ancient mortuary 
uh, group of ancient mortuary mound, and it talks about prehistoric Indian mounds. And they talk about these early mound builders. So it's a, this is a deep history. Okay, so, uh, so these are just a, just a few of the things we deal with. We talk about uh, Carthage and um, Hannibal Barca and the, the Battle of Cannae in 216 BC and uh, Carthage being destroyed in 146 BC by the Romans. We deal with Ghana, Songhai, and Mali, three great West African nations. We talk about the Moors um, as well. And everything we taught Europeans came back to kick us in the behind. We deal with, um, uh, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the Moors as early as the Middle Ages and as late as the 17th century were commonly supposed to be black or very swarthy, and hence the word is often used for negro. Early in the 8th century, after a grim and extended resistance to the Arab invasions of North Africa, the Moors joined the triumphant surge of Islam. Following this, they crossed over from Morocco over to the Iberian Peninsula, which is today known as Spain and Portugal, where their swift victories and remarkable feats soon became the substance of legends. In 710 AD, or common era, Tarif, with 400 soldiers and 100 horses, all Berbers, successfully carried out a mission in southern Iberia. Tarif, an important port city in southern Spain, is named after him. This was a reconnaissance, reconnaissance mission to get the lay of the land and see what they were up against. It is clear, however, that the conquest of Spain was undertaken by Tariq ibn Ziyad. Tariq was in command of an army of at least 10,000 men. And where they land when they go in in 711 AD, it's a rock promontory called Jebel Tariq or Tariq's Mountain, also known as Gibraltar or the Rock of Gibraltar. And this is named after Tariq ibn Ziyad. So we go we go through and we go through and we look at everything from Christopher Columbus, Christopher Cologne to uh um Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus, who uh is attacking Carthage. Uh, we look at uh, uh, what Columbus is, is central to really understanding the spread of the transatlantic slave trade and where he went on his four voyages. And the the nations that he conquered, the, the island nations that he conquered, like, with, like Jamaica and Dominican Republic and, and Haiti on the island of Hispaniola, which he called um, uh, La Isla, uh, La Isla Española, which is anglicized the Hispaniola. Okay, refers to the Spanish island. So the western third of the island of Hispaniola is was a colony they called Santo Domingo, amongst the Spanish. When, when the French take it over, take over the colony in 1697 from the Spanish, they call it Saint Dominique. And we know there's a revolution in 1791 in, in, in that colony. 
And when those Africans declared their independence January 1st, 1804, they called it Aiti, which is um, the Taino name, Aiti. And we call it Haiti. But those nations of Haiti, Santa Domingo, uh, um, Dominican Republic, Cuba, which Columbus conquers on behalf of the Spanish crown in 1492, Puerto Rico, which he conquers in 1493 on behalf of the Spanish crown. Those island nations have never recovered for what happened to them over 500 years ago. They're still dealing with the side effects of what happened to them over 500 years ago. And the British take over Jamaica from the Spanish. The French take it over from the Spanish. But when we look at where Columbus goes on his four voyages, see Columbus helped lay the foundation for slavery, racism, capitalism, the exploitation of indigenous people. And then uh, we see that um, we're going to have the Asiento de Negros signed by King Charles V in 1518, which really expands the transatlantic slave trade and, and causes direct uh, transports of Africans from Africa directly to the Spanish colonies without having to go into Spain first. The, Asi the Asiento de Negros. So we go through and look at a timeline of history. We deal with things like what are papal bulls? Um, we do a what, uh, what was the transatlantic slave trade, the forced voyage of African people from Europe to Africa to the Americas. 1488, Pope Innocent VIII, he wasn't so innocent. Pope Innocent VIII, accepted a gift of 100 more slaves from King Ferdinand of Spain and then distributed these African slaves to various cardinals and nobles, 1488. This is two years before Columbus set sail. Columbus set sail August 3rd, 1492, late in the same year that the Reconquista is complete and uh, the, the Spain takes back control of uh, the last stronghold of the Moors in Granada, January 2nd, 1492. Uh, when we look at, let me see here. What was the Middle Passage? So the Middle Passage was the leg of the triangular trade from Africa to the Americas or what Europeans call the New World. Manufactured products such as rum and textiles were, or, or weapons and gunpowder, et cetera, were taken from Europe to Africa in exchange for Africans who would become uh, slaves or exchange for gold and silver. These Africans were then sold in the Americas, in the Caribbean for raw materials such as sugar and molasses. And one of the things that that they're doing, especially amongst the Spanish and the French do this also, they set up sugarcane plantations in these colonies because sugarcane grows in warmer climates. So Jamaica and Haiti and Cuba 
and Puerto Rico are excellent climates to grow sugarcane. And sugarcane was a big commodity even before cotton became king. So we take you th throughout history uh, and then we uh, leave off in about the 1830s or so, 1840s. In the second class that I teach, um, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, that second class basically picks up where this first class leaves off. And the reason why is because the, the second class is, is, is a 10-week online class. There's so much information that I, that I had that um, I couldn't deal with. See, that the period of time from 1865 to 1968 is a crucial, crucial period of time. And we're dealing with the Civil War. We're dealing with the um, uh, Special Field Order Number 15, 40 Acres and a Mule, all, all this history. Okay. So uh, the second class uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. We go through in each class, we analyze about a 10, 15, 20-year period of time. We start in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase, which is tied to the Haitian Revolution of 1791. And France sells the land that they have here in the U.S. They sell that land for about $15 million dollars to the U.S. in 1803, and that was that that deal was signed off on by uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, President Thomas Jefferson. Um, so the Louisiana Purchase basically doubles the territory of the U.S. at that time, and they're going to carve out uh, about 15 states out of this territory. Louisiana Purchase of 1803, which is tied to the Haitian Revolution. And the Louisiana Purchase of 1803 brought into the United States about 828,000 square miles of territory from France. France had no right to the land. This land basically stolen from Native Americans and African people who were already here. But this doubled the size of the U.S., what was known at the time as the Louisiana Territory stretched from the Mississippi River in the east to the Rocky Mountains in the west and from the Gulf of Mexico in the south to the Canadian border up north. Part or all of 15 states were eventually created from the land deal, which is considered one of the most important achievements of Thomas Jefferson's presidency. You check out history.com, official website of the History Channel. They have some good information there on Louisiana Purchase. So we go through and look at this history. We look at the, the um, we look at this history chronologically as well. We look at Texas becoming part of the Union in 1845. We look at Texas winning their independence from uh, Mexico in 1836. Mexico winning their independence from Spain in 1821. Vicente Guerrero becoming the second president of Mexico in 1829. He's the, he, and he's of African descent. He abolishes slavery. We look at the Alamo, the fight uh, uh, over the Alamo, the fort, uh, 1836. Uh, look at the uh, Mexican-American War, uh, 1846, 1848. Okay. And from because of the Mexican-American War, 
then the U.S. is going, and, and, and you're dealing with this uh, concept of manifest destiny as well. The U.S. is going to get the land that makes up uh, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, and Nevada from Mexico as a result of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo of 1848, which is what ends the Mexican-American War. And you're dealing with westward expansion and you're dealing with the United States basically want to take over the entire North American continent. You're dealing with territorial disputes. This is how the Mexican-American War starts. But because of the Mexican-American War, you're going to have what's called the, uh, and even before that, you have the uh, Missouri Compromise of 1820, which organizes the land that the U.S. gets from the Louisiana Purchase. But the Compromise of 1850 organizes the land that the U.S. gets from Mexico, and it comprises, the, the Compromise of 1850 comprises of five bills. The fifth bill that it comprises of is the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which intensifies the abolitionist movement and causes more runaway slaves to go into Canada as opposed to staying in the North. And this is four years before the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, and as a result of the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, you have the Republican Party founded in 1854, because the majority of the time that slavery exists in this country, you don't have a Democratic Party or Republican Party. Democratic Party is not founded in 1828. Republican Party is founded in 1854. So we're going to go through and see what leads to the Civil War taking place, okay, and that's triggered especially by the election, the uh, November 6, 1860 presidential election. And Abraham Lincoln becomes the um, president-elect. And the uh, many Southern states fear that Lincoln's going to free the slaves. So the first state to secede from the Union is South Carolina, December 20th, 1860. About six weeks after Lincoln becomes president-elect. The Civil War in the United States began in 1861, April 12, 1861, with the attack on Fort Sumter in South Carolina. After decades of simmering tensions between northern and southern states over slavery, states' rights, and westward expansion, the election of Abraham Lincoln, November 6, 1860, when he became president-elect, caused seven southern states to secede from the Union and form the Confederate States of America. Four more states soon joined. The war between the states as a civil war was also known, ended in Confederate surrender in 1865. The conflict was the costliest and deadliest war ever fought on American soil, with some 620,000 of 2.4 million soldiers killed, millions more injured, and much of the South left in ruin. And then we have to we deal with Reconstruction which is a crucial period of history, which is not really taught in schools. Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, where African-Americans were showing America really how to have a democracy. There's a, um, there's a good article from time.com that we've talked about here on this show. Came out January of 2022 
January 12, 2022. This makes the connection that, that, that I've been making even before I saw this article. This makes the connection between the political violence targeting African Americans and white Republicans during the Reconstruction era. It makes the connection between that and the January 6, 2021 insurrection instigated by the traitor in chief, Donald Trump. A new report finds that 45 states are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations after the Civil War. That's the Reconstruction era. A new report finds that 45 states out of 50 are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations after the Civil War. We're still dealing with the effects of the Civil War and Reconstruction. Reconstruction ended in 1877. We're still dealing with those effects today. In the aftermath of the insurrection, January, uh, January 6, 2021, at the U.S. Capitol, many leading historians drew parallels between the violence and the Reconstruction era, the, the period of political revolution directly following the American Civil War. Quote, the events we saw reminded me very much of the Reconstruction era and the overthrow of Reconstruction in 1877, which was often accompanied or accomplished, I should say, by violent assaults on elected officials, which is why you needed the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. This is a quote from Eric Fonner, Pulitzer Prize winning historian and author of Reconstruction, America's Unfinished Revolution, 1863 to 1877. He said this in an interview with the New Yorker published a week after the January 6th insurrection. This is what I've been saying on the show. I said, dude, that's, it. that's, that's what happened during Reconstruction, Clinton, Mississippi, Massacre, 1874, Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, Massacre. When you go study these riots and massacres during uh, Reconstruction, but then after Reconstruction ends, a lot of that was over, uh, a lot of that, that was dealing with politics and trying to keep us from voting. Opelousa Massacre, Opelousa, Louisiana, 1868. This is before Wilmington, North Carolina, 1898, where they overthrew a biracial uh, government in Wilmington, North Carolina. This was long before that. Scholars say studying the aftermath of the Civil War can help put in context many of the most seminal events in the U.S. in recent years, from the brutal murder of George Floyd uh, by police in uh, uh, May 25, 2020, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, to the voter suppression laws enacted after African-American voters played a big role in helping Joe Biden and Kamala Harris become president and vice president in 2020. But despite the timeliness of the era in today's climate, many students in American schools will not get a full education of Reconstruction until they get to college. Well, most of them are not going to college. And this is directly related to our understanding of history and your understanding of history influences your understanding of politics 
and who you vote for and the, and the policies you support. In social studies standards, 45 out of 50 states and the District of Columbia, discussion of Reconstruction is partial or non-existent. In 45 states out of 50 and the District of Columbia, discussion on Reconstruction, 1865-1877, is partial or non-existent according to historians who reviewed the period, it, it reviewed how the period is discussed in K through 12 social studies standards for public schools nationwide. In a report produced by the education nonprofit Zen Education Project, the study's authors say they are concerned that American children will grow up to be uninformed about the critical period of history that helps explain why full racial equality remains unfulfilled today. So all this is connected and all this is tied to history. And historical events don't happen in a vacuum. They are the, the, are the culmination of a sequence of historical events that have a domino effect and lead to a larger event taking place. Okay, so check this out from time.com. A new report finds that 45 states are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations after the Civil War. All right, how's everybody doing? How y'all like this type of information? So uh, I teach the classes on the weekends, Saturday, uh, Saturdays, and Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any questions, email me at Show at africanhistorynetwork.com. We're going to post the link here again. You can register for the online class. You also can register for the bundle pack. Um, so the class is regularly $130. They're on sale $60. Uh, $60 each. We have the bundle pack. You can register for both classes for $100. If you want to pay through Cash App, email me, and we can do that uh, as well. Uh, or you can just send it through Cash App also. I'll enroll you in the class. We have a Cash App information here. Um, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. So on Saturdays, uh, we have the information at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. On Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. As soon as you register, you can watch, um, class we did last week. So we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. Okay. You don't have to be present in class. Uh, and even a year, and once you register, you have full access to the class. So even after the course is over with a year from now, you want to uh, watch the full classes there. You can watch it. You can also use this information with your children and your family. The, the, Information, uh, I would say it's PG 13. I don't do a lot of cursing. It's not overly graphic. I don't show naked people and things like this. It is, um, it's not like that. On Saturday, on Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., I teach from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Okay. All right. 
And then all of my DVD lectures and digital downloads are at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. If you have any questions, email me. If you want me to do a presentation or if you want me teaching these classes for your churches, your study groups, organizations, fraternities, sororities, you want me to do a modified, uh, a shorter version of these classes, or you want me to do a presentation uh, for your group organization, email me as well. Okay, well, look, we have to get out of here. Um, I'll see you all in class. Uh, remember at the African History Network, uh, hopefully you learned a lot from this. Give us a thumbs up on this broadcast. Give us a heart. Give us a like. Follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And uh, turn on live notifications so you know when we go live. Also sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. Text the word Kemet. Uh, the two, uh, test work commit to, uh, 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Uh, remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Uh, I'll be on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. I'm a panelist usually on Fridays and, um, you know, on Sundays, uh, we're here for two hours, uh, on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. The African History Network show, you know, we're here for two hours on Sundays. All right. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time and we'll see you in class. Peace.